want to build a community and share other women's stories. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Tea with TE, the She Who Leads podcast. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. And I've got one of my favorite people from the industry here to talk with me today. And Jeremy is not a, a female, but is very much a female advocate and is the founder of Why Lead. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Terry. Thank you very much for inviting me. And I'm so excited. I think we can start by sharing how you and I cross paths and also just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's one of those fortunate things, wasn't it? Because we were both invited to be part of a panel that a company has been running um, called Future Gen, which is about the future generation of, of women in leadership, um, female empowerment. And the idea was, well, we ought to we ought to get more men involved. This isn't just something for women. And so I was invited to do a little talk on male allyship. And then we had a panel. It was you, I, and, and someone else from another company's, you know, senior leader called Kula. And we just had a great conversation, didn't we, about male allyship and how we can work together to create gender equity. So, yeah, that's how it all came about. And, and it was a great discussion. And, and it fed in very well with all of the things that I think we do as individuals, but equally what we're striving for as a group, which is very much helping to create a, a world of equity. Um, yeah. Do you want to just share a bit on, on why lead and, and what it is that you do there? Yeah, of course. Um, so my first career actually wasn't spent. Uh, I'm, I'm not a serial entrepreneur. My first career was spent rather unimaginatively in one company. Uh, I worked for Barclays for 27 years and, and having started in branches, spent a few years in head office roles. I, I think I found my calling about midway through my career when I moved into scale leadership roles. And after a couple of years of not being particularly good at it, I decided that I wanted to get better at it. And I began to find it incredibly rewarding. So I decided after you know, about 12 years into my career to nail my colours to the leadership master. And that's what I did. I, I led large teams of branches. I, I led business regions. I had a spell overseas running one of our, our countries in Africa. And, you know, I just found leadership to be a real privilege. And I love the responsibility. And having come back from my overseas gig, I did a, a couple more years. And I think I just got to the point where I was nudging 50 and I thought yeah. 27 years is long enough. And I, I wasn't ex as excited about the 10 years ahead of me than I was before. So I thought it's time for me to go off and do what I really care about, what I'm really passionate about, which is leadership, not really banking. And I uh, I set up Wirelead initially just as a, a vehicle through which I could do more leadership work. But I during the pandemic, I thought what I want to do is create an organization that can help other leaders to lead with purpose and with a sense of well why why do I lead and therefore why should others follow me and uh, so that's what I did started trading in 2021 2022 um, was the second year and, and that's when I started to make a bit of a I wouldn't say a pivot into gender equity but I've always believed that if we have more female leaders and more leaders generally leading with a more balanced set of traits not just purely overtly masculine traits but using feminine traits as well the world would be a better place, workplaces would be fairer. And that's really led me to sort of almost get to the point where it's still leadership, but we, we really focus now on how we can create equity in workplaces and encourage leaders to be more balanced in their approach. And the, the 
there has obviously always been a theme, I think, from how you have done this, but can we talk a little bit about the difference of trying to reverse the narrative? And obviously you've talked to me about it in terms of having a room actually rather than preaching to a room full of women. Yeah. Why don't we reverse that and actually think about the impact that that could have? So I'd love to just hear a bit more around what you do with Y Lead, but also the impact that it has not just on the female generation, but also on male leaders. Yeah, I think that's such an important point because I realised as I was starting to explore this, my, my education on this is relatively new. You know, I spent the first 52 two years of my life thinking I was a good guy, but then really wasn't particularly educated and didn't understand the issue sufficiently. So when I did, I thought I, I now want to go out there and start to share some of this. And the very first opportunity I had was I did a, a talk for International Women's Day for a large organisation and, and I was invited to work male allyship. So I did. And in the audience, there's about 90 people, of which I think five were men. And three of those were employees of the company. And, and it, it seemed to go down well. And the stuff I was talking about resonated. But I realized that wasn't my audience. Because you are preaching to the converted. You're talking about how men need to be doing, be more understanding of, of the issues and, you know, do more of the unpaid work at home, things like that. Women, could, Yeah, of course, you know, it's, it, it, it's men that need to kind of hear this stuff and be educated in the same way that, that that I've been. So I think, and I also think from a lot of the gender equity programs I've seen through my career, it's almost like, no, no, men, this doesn't concern you. Yeah. We're, we're over here fixing the women. And, and <laughs> women don't actually need fixing. That's the first problem. But the second thing is it's, that is ex exclusionary in its very kind of nature. So for me, the missing ingredient from gender equity is, mm -hmm. is men. And even more specifically, it's men and women working together. So we've absolutely got to bring men in. Um, otherwise, we'll never be able to make progress. And the fact is, men are, are still retain the majority of the power and the influence. So by not including them, not helping them to become part of the solution, you're only ever going to make small progress, which is what we're making at the moment. Yeah, which, which is one of those things, isn't it? I think until we actually enroll the men onto these courses and say actually let's try and make it at least a bit more equal like you yeah. say having five men in in a room full of women that wasn't the agenda and it wasn't what people were striving to do and I don't know why naturally men don't feel as though they mm. should be in that room like look at the event that we were part of for the future gen for Hayes McIntyre and actually the the guy on my team said to me I don't need to come to that I was like why yeah I hate me for calling him out so sorry but um <laughs> I, it's that, that narrative I think that naturally yeah. I think oh well it's not targeted because it was the leadership the female leadership series and I think then automatically maybe people exclude themselves and think actually well that doesn't relate to me or I, I don't feel like I need to go because I am an ally mm, and like, yeah. Great, it's all well and good saying that you are an ally and I know that you talk about on Wednesdays we smash the patriarchy and we're trying to do more in terms of getting men involved in these initiatives. What's your mm. thoughts around how we can do that? And and how can we try and try and shift the mold slightly, even just to have 20 instead of five people in the room? I know it's all small steps, right? It's not something that happens. Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, for me, Terry, that is the key question I've been asking myself for the last yeah, six, nine months, maybe even 12 months when I first started to really um, get involved in this and um, I, th there are definitely answers from what I've seen there are there are ways to do it um, I think part of it is understanding what holds men back 
What are yeah. the things that stop men from getting involved? And you've already touched on one of the, one or two of them. I mean, one, and this, I read a brilliant book by a woman writing about male, male allyship called Her Allies, uh, yeah. and, and it's, her name is Hira Ali. We we connected on LinkedIn, and we had a conversation. She said, oh, I've written a book, and she, it just happened to be answering some of the questions I was looking for. But but it all resonates with me. So there's three things that she says in her book, and I, I completely can re- relate to these. The first one is that men are apathetic about this because they think it doesn't concern them. They think it's what women's issues. Gender equity is about women, isn't it? Which is a real misconception. And it's not because the men are stupid. and, and the, the, It's just because that's the way it's been positioned for many, many years, yeah. decades, actually. So I think the first thing is, is, is help men overcome the apathy by realising it does concern you. you know, what, what is causing this isn't men versus women. It's not men being bad, women suffering as a result that there's this whole construct, which is why I say we smashed the patriarch on Wednesday, of the patriarchy, which is really damaging and holds women back and creates loads of barriers that w- women face. But it also creates loads of barriers and challenges for men too. So I think the first thing is to understand, to help men realise, no, no, this, is, this concerns you as well. This really does. Um, so that's overcoming the apathy. The second one, is, I think, is just fear. Fear of saying the wrong thing, fear of being in an environment where it doesn't feel comfortable. And the irony is, I mean, I'm sure this is something you, you experience as a, a, a very senior woman, woman in an organisation. I would imagine there's been times when you've been the only woman in the room. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think we talked about this, didn't we? This came up at the, the Future Gen event where, you know, you ask any woman in the industry, oh, yeah, I've been the only yeah. one in the room. And, and so you kind of know what it, it feels like, but, but men don't. Yeah. Men are always the majority, so it feels quite comfortable. You suddenly put them in a room where it's not familiar and they get to know what it's like. Um, and it, and it, it feels uncomfortable. They're worried about saying the wrong thing. They worry about making a mistake. Mm-hmm. And so fear is the second thing. We've got to try and find a way of overcoming that fear. And the third one is just really prosaically, it's just ignorance men just don't understand the issues they don't understand the barriers women face they don't understand um the, the various impacts and i say that as a man who was exactly the same yeah For 52 years i said i thought i was a good guy and um you know i was doing the best i could with what i knew but now i know much better so i'm trying to do better in the, in the old words of Maya Angelou. So, um, so yeah, I think it, it's we've got to find a way of overcoming those things. But really, it's okay. Bringing men into the conversation is absolutely crucial. So even if you go from like five to twenty, that is progress. And I know you have this saying, and and it's one of those posts from Smashing the Patriarchy that that went a bit viral. Um, <laughs> yes. It was essentially not all men, and yeah. some of the comments in there were from men that were saying, "Actually, I do want to speak up, but I don't know how." or I'm in this kind of macho environment where I don't feel like it's the right thing for me to say anything. So mm. I know we don't have the answer per se, but what, how can we help men in those situations kind of feel as though they they can talk? I know mm. you kind of talked about it before that you would be the person that would be defending on some post being like, why is no one sticking out for women in this situation? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why that is. That is something that I think we... If, kind of grown through culture and it's not just mm-hmm. british culture i think it's generally speaking globally it seems to be Absolutely. seems to be the case so what what do you think we can do to challenge those norms do you think there is something that we can do there 
Yeah, I, I really do. I mean, I'm I'm an eternal optimist, so I should probably just point yeah. that out. <laughs> it's not um, a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, I have I have learned now to not just hope for the best, but also prepare for the worst. So there, there is some some thought that goes into this. Um, I think I think the key thing for um, for men is education, uh, and I and again, not in a patronising way, not in a condescending way. We have to create safe environments where. Men of all ages, but particularly when you get to my age, you know, we are the archetype. I'm the archetypal middle-aged white man. Mm -hmm. And even some of the narrative that goes around that, you know, know, I think male, pale and stale is a a term that's often used. I know when I first heard it, I thought it was quite funny, but I now realise just how how insulting that is. That assumption that, you know, yeah. So I think. It's definitely not doing things like that, but but create an environment where men can learn about things and unlearn things. Yeah. Because we we have been conditioned from from boys to behave in a certain way and to have certain expectations and certain privileges. That's our our conditioning. Just in the same way that girls have been conditioned from a very young age. It's not a question of, oh, yeah, I'll just do do something different. And you've got to really understand and create an environment where that can be explored and can be thought about. And and what I've learned, and I haven't always got this right, which is why I'm learning all the time, is is you can't just kind of point the finger. You can't make men wrong and just say, Mm. you know, when I first started to get involved in this, I would talk about things. And if then I got a counter argument from a man, I might just go on the attack a little bit. Yeah, and it's, I was almost like a bit of a reformed smoker, you know. I've stopped smoking. It's like, oh, smoking's the worst thing in the world. It's like, men, why don't you understand this stuff? I mean, how <laughs> how lacking is self awareness is that? Um, and I realised actually that wasn't particularly helpful. So, I think it's really important to create an environment where you can just ex- help men to explore mm. these things and 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 again remove some of those those barriers of what he talked about that kind of fear of of being made to look stupid. Yeah. And I do think there's some kind of balancing act that we need to come to, right? Me being in search, diversity is at the forefront of of every senior hire right now. So you do have to think about men too. I think in their situations, yes, it's amazing. And we're striving for change at the top and we do want to have more female leaders. Mm. Equally, I do think that we shouldn't be making moves for hires because somebody is a female. It should really be based on the right person for the role. And I can see where some men will think, well, I've got zero chance now because actually I know what the agenda is and there's probably no other female leaders on that board. And mm. so we need the change to happen. But at the same time, I think we need to have equitable opinions so that actually the, the people that there's not a feeling of, well, that, I, they're benefiting for everything and, and yeah. we're not at all. Whereas we could argue that I think that's probably been the other way around for a very long time. So I think maybe it's our turn, but at the same time, I do understand that yeah. that it's difficult to strike a balance, I think. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing at the moment is some businesses going completely the opposite way. And obviously everything is about needing to change the agenda and, and get some more females at the top, which I'm, I'm here for. But I think we do need to obviously try and bring people along on the journey regardless of gender I think just kind of being like okay let's just actually strive for equity I don't think I I think we've got a long way to go when it comes to that yeah we do and I think like so many things again this is almost where the way society runs in a very masculine way when it identifies a problem it's like we must fix the problem Mm. what we have here is is a systemic serious set of norms that go back decades centuries you don't just fix those they need thought and they need 
collaboration and they just be a little bit more sophisticated in, that, in our approach. Um, and so I mean, one of the first things I think is, is problematic is when you end up having those kind of uh, one dimensional conversations. Well, if we do this, it's going to I've got no chance of getting that position. I agree with you totally that we've had it, you know, way too good for, for too long. So that's, that should be fine. But just using that one example, it's like it's so much broader than that. And I try yeah. and steer people away from those. Exactly. Oh, yeah, but, you know, um, I think the other thing then more more broadly is that this isn't a zero sum game. You know, gender equity isn't about men giving something to women. It's research proves, and you think about things like, you know, disability, research proves that when you elevate a disadvantaged group, all it does is create more opportunities for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I often use the really, really overly simplistic example of when, you know, when I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of provision provision made for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Then we started to introduce, you know, accessibility and the Disability Act. And so now, you know, people who need help or, or don't find it to, to kind of climb stairs or to kind of get access to buildings can do that relatively easily because the provision is there mm -hmm. but everyone can use that as well everyone yeah. has the same additional access so it's created more opportunities for everyone not just for the mm -hmm. disadvantaged group and it's exactly the same with gender and uh, those are the kind of conversations that we need to have yeah uh, much much broader than that yeah which is interesting how you position it like that because i think some people wouldn't see it as as that right <laughs> which yeah. is interesting in itself thinking about things like maternity paternity we are striving now for equity within those policies i think obviously i know that it is very different from a paternity perspective currently but there are lots of organizations that are saying well actually it shouldn't really matter whether you're the mother or the father you should mm. both have equal opportunity which is great and so why yeah. can't we, these are the benefits that I think people should be thinking of and going, okay, actually, I can see the reason as to why I should maybe support women a bit more. Yeah, this this is why, why sort of policies on their own aren't enough. It's, you know, the, the, these yeah. are cultural issues. These are societal issues. Think about what happens when a woman falls pregnant. Almost universally what happens initially, it's all, everyone goes, oh, it's so wonderful. It's so brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, it's, all, it's all lovely. It's very exciting. When a man is is you know gonna have a baby mm -hmm. um what do his mates do it's like oh, oh mate you know you enjoy your time now while you can no, for you uh, forget, <laughs> your life is gonna end you know, it's just like and, it, and it's it's kind of under the label of banter yeah it's, it doesn't exactly make a man sort of think oh this is gonna be the best experience of my life you know it, it, it and it's it's all humor like so much of stuff is all kind of counts as humor but you know that that kind of the impacts of fatherhood is so different from from motherhood, and the other thing that happens is that you imagine if if a man says, "I'm going to take paternity leave," I'll be off for four weeks. You're like, you enjoy your rest, mate. You know, have a lovely time. Look, yeah. you know, it's it's not. Well, no, I'm going to be actually looking after a baby, doing my part, bonding yeah. with a child. It's like it's it's not the same, and, and those are some of the things we need to kind of change. Uh, yeah. And I think flip that on its, on its head, right? So there are women in business who probably don't want to say to their staff when they are pregnant, I'm pregnant because they're like, oh, you're going to treat me differently. And then you get those comments of saying, oh, but you'll, you'll come back straight away, right? You'll come back. So there's a pressure to that works more important. Yeah. And I think 
we still haven't got that right from a cultural perspective of actually encouraging people to to want to feel like they are empowered to go off and, and create a family. I think we're in a position where people are nervous about it. And I think that's something that just shouldn't be happening now. It's crazy. But you still get those comments of like, oh, well, we won't give that opportunity to you then because I don't really need to come back. It's 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 horrendous and I, I completely agree with you one of the things it was the year before I left Barclays I remember having a conversation with three different women two were in my in my kind of extended team and another one was in a sort of a, a neighboring team all of them were pregnant for the first time and when I when they told me I was like oh, that's wonderful we had a lovely chat about it and how exciting it is and you know I had a couple of kids who were both teenagers by then so obviously I had wisdom to impart <laughs> okay, no, it just, it just, it's lovely I mean, it's a great thing yeah. what struck me was all of them had the same kind of narrative that they were all quite senior two of them were directors one was a, a vice president who was absolutely director material and they all said that well you know I think a couple of them hadn't really announced it yet at that point um but anyway but this, well, well I'll let people know and I imagine then at some point things will start to slow down for me a little bit at work because you know they won't want to give me extra, any extra assignments and then um i'll obviously go and have my maternity leave probably have nine or 12 months which is what a lot of people do and then i'll come back and i'll try and reestablish, find out where i am find out what's yeah. happening who what's what's changed is, is my boss still there yeah. and then uh, you know maybe after a couple of years i'll try to re rebuild my career or reestablish my career yeah and it's like that's that's the internal narrative that, it, that we have in a yeah what's supposed to be a, a more kind of balanced sort of industry mm -hmm. than, than many. Uh, and they, they're senior women, very capable. And they're they're basically writing off their careers. And that's if they have one child. Yeah. Now, at least two of them have now subsequently had another child soon after. So they got up, they're losing about five years. That's insane. And that's not their fault. That's because that's what happens. What yeah. should be happening is there should be a, like a, a I'm, gonna, I'm going off on a bit of one here. I've always believed this. There should be a pregnancy policy. So uh, policy in the loosest sense. Mm. So, like, someone announces their pregnancy, like, brilliant. Okay, now what we're going to do is wrap a load of support around making sure that whilst you're helping to keep the population growing, which is really, really important for the sustainability of the human race, we're going to make sure your career can continue. Um, so we'll, let, let's think about how this next six months, whatever the time frame is, is going to, you can maximise that, but also make sure you can take care of yourself. While you're away, let's we'll keep in touch as much as you want yeah. to. What's happening, and then before you come back, we'll start to look at the opportunities where there might be opportunities for promotion, for new roles, for based on what you need. And when when you're back, we'll understand that you've been through twelve months of raising a child, and you won't want to come back full full. Time. You 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 put stuff around it so you can make this transition as smooth as possible. It's it's such a massive blocker, I believe, to women making progress, and. Men don't have that. You know, you, despite the things I said earlier on, we just get on with it. We also experience that kind of fatherhood bump where it's like, oh, so you're a father now. You're kind of settled down. You're responsible and you probably yeah. need more money to pay for your family. So, you know, there is, that is something which is so inevitable. It's mm -hmm. so important. And yet no companies that I'm aware of have a proper policy for it. So, yeah, nice. I, you know, I, it's it's I think women around the world experience this yeah I've got one friend who is going back from maternity leave in March 
but she works for the NHS. And actually, that's the first time I've heard somebody calling her up during her pregnancy saying, there's a promotion for you. Wow. We want you to just come in and, and talk to people about it, but we're not going to put anyone else in for it. You deserve it. Shouldn't be hindered oh. because you're not here. Yeah. And I just think that's fantastic. She told me, yeah, so that's amazing. Yeah, she's not then worrying, okay, I then have to go back earlier or these things that I think we do have to think about as women mm. that not to discredit any men, but they don't have these things that they do have to think about, which I think we have to, I just wish there was that kind of commonality or the common understanding of, okay, we do get it quite nice in terms of we, we take out. And if we're now getting um, shared paternity leave, amazing, you've got six months off, but yeah. you don't really get those comments of like, oh, did you have a night? Well, you might do, I guess, of like, did you have a night? Like you say, did you have a nice break? Or yeah. how are you going to settle back in as, as you come back? just think the narrative is is skewed still but as you say I think maybe that is something that hopefully we can strive towards not just having a maternity policy but actually having a, a pregnancy yeah focus yeah you you've described it to me before of being invited to the party versus being invited to dance yeah and I really like that analogy because it's like well it, it's happening to me so I have to share that information rather than like we know that you're going to go through this so this is what we've set up for you and this is our succession plan for you yeah it's, it's I mean like all the best analogies that none of them are mine unfortunately that was that's a, a, a Vernon Myers quote but it's it's exactly you have to make it as easy as possible for people to you, you can't just have the people there and it's always a, often a reapply to women yeah, kind of, yeah. oh yeah we're, we're hiring women but mm -hmm. Are you actually creating an environment where they can give her their best? Yeah. I have the quote is, you know, it's even better would be to say, you, you know, it's not about being invited to the party, but it's being feeling that you're free to dance. You know, that's yeah. invited. Just go, yeah, just go and dance, you know, and yeah. we'll make it as easy as possible for you to really enjoy yourself and feel comfortable to express yourself. And um, a lot of companies think they do that, but I don't really know any that actually do. No. And and I think there are businesses and there are now female health businesses that help companies that are trying to figure this out and kudos to them because they are trying to pull in an initiative where they can think more broadly about female health, but thinking about things like menstruation and mm. menopause, that like if you're a senior leader and you're going through menopause, it's so difficult and I, I, we don't talk about it enough. We're only just as a society starting to talk about the menopause more. And so it's not this taboo subject that people are scared to talk about. Yeah. Women have to bring them best selves and then they're going through a hot flush in the middle of a meeting and there's no way to talk about it or to manage it. I know. So I, I know that we're getting there. I think we are, but, but in, in small doses. Well, I think it comes back to, sorry, Terry. No, go, go for it. I was going to say, I think this is because back to what we were saying earlier on, because there are organisations I'm talking about this. If it wasn't for Davina McCall, yeah. I wouldn't even know much about the menopause. I know my yeah. mum experienced it, but I remember her experiencing it through the inconvenience my father felt. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... And I've subsequently spoken to my mum about it and and I now have a much better understanding of what her experience was. And she was lucky. She had a very, very good GP who was very supportive. Okay. That's really rare, especially back in, you know, with her generation. Um, but it, it, it's back to what we were saying earlier that 
it, it shouldn't just be left to women and women's groups to be talking about these. Men should be educated to understand this is the reality of the people that they work with. Um, I mean, the menopause still blows her mind in terms of just how misunderstood, how hard it is to diagnose, the variety of symptoms. And it's not just men not knowing this. Women don't know what's happening to their bodies. I've spoken to so many women who, who feel they're going mad. They've got early onset dementia. They, they, these are personal testimonies that I've heard from, from, from women. Um, and um, yeah, we all need to know this stuff. We need to make it easier. I mean, apart from anything else, one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing demographic of people in a workplace is menopausal women. Mm. And so if we don't make it as easy as possible, and if we don't wrap a support around that group of people mm. and their particular needs, what tends to happen is a lot of women then check out of the workforce. Yeah, uh, it's too much or, to cope with. Yeah, they just oh, yeah, I'm done now. I'll go off and do something else. Yeah. Or, you know, we're losing so much important talent. Mm. Uh, so I think there's, there's a huge amount to, to be done to enable men to be better educated in things like menopause. Menstruation is another one. We rarely talk about it. But I, I, I'm, you know, I've spoken to friends of mine who have been going for job interviews and they just wake up that morning and think, oh, great. Okay, so then I'm going to have stomach cramps. Yeah. You know, all the other symptoms that can, can come with that, you know, your period. And you just got to get on with it. And you're... Yeah. You're competing with people that don't have to experience that. Yeah, exactly. And so thinking about actionable steps, as I know that we say, obviously, it's all about the education. And I think we do need mm. to take people on these journeys. And I know you're doing this with Lead, but what steps can people take to educate themselves, but also yeah. to educate their, their businesses? Yeah, that, that that's a really good question. I'll quickly, if I share kind of what has opened my eyes to this, mm-hmm. and it was because I asked a question of someone. So this is one of the clues. If you're someone who listens to this, and think, what can I do to educate myself? I said to a female friend of mine who I was, I was working with at the time, um, what can I do to be a better male ally? Yeah, And it was in the wake of uh, the Sarah Everard murder and then the, the vigil Uh, and the way the women were treated I just I was so horrified not uh, obviously by the act itself but by the way the women were treated both by the police and in social media and I said what can I do and she said read two books and the two books she recommended were uh, Laura Bates's Everyday Sexism Mm -hmm. and Invisible Women by Caroline Corrado Perez and I read them both neither of them were an easy read Mm. but it it just completely opened my eyes to the realities that women face so i know i know sexism exists i know there's data biases in a world designed by and for men but i have no idea the extent just how endemic sexism is most women won't just experience sexism in their life they'll experience it every week something will happen they'll get catcalled they'll get maybe brushed up against on the tube or they'll get belittled in a meeting and just oh it's banter you know whatever those things happen all the time yeah Um, and invisible women i just had no idea the extent of how um for example in a road traffic accident women are 47 percent more likely to suffer a serious injury because all of the safety features in cars this is today are designed around the male body there's yeah. there's a for someone Crazy. i've met through through some of the work i do who's now a retired um, detective inspector in the police force an absolute brilliant woman and i met her because she was talking about how the menopause had nearly broken her at an event i was at and so it's really honest account of her experience 
But one of the conversations she had to me is that she said, do you realise stab vests and that they are male stab vests we wear? And, and okay, they're badges unisex, means they're a bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Women's anatomies. Very different. Are very different. It's, it's, it's insane. So I think... I'm, I'm sort of going slightly off at a tangent, but I'll come back now because what that did, that made me kind of think, okay, I didn't know this stuff. Yeah. I now find out more. And so I've spoken to countless women since then to understand the reality. I've read more and more books and I now realise I I have the agency and also the privilege to do something about this. Mm-hmm. And the more privilege you have, the more responsibility you have. So for me, it's, it's acted as a real galvanising force and we want to be be part of this that's where kind of on Wednesday you smash the patriarchy postcard yeah. you know partly inspired by my daughter who's got a t-shirt that says on Wednesday you smash the patriarchy <laughs> which I love which is I know it's cool isn't it and and she's um so it, it came initially from that but now I post every single week I've learned so much through doing that from other yeah. people and I've learned about again these things about what holds men back and some of the real issues that women face and how we by working together and I've been really struck by the, the just the warmth and the generosity of women when a man starts talking about this stuff, wanting to help, wanting to be inclusive. And, and that's always been a real positive for me. So I think that there is so much that people can do to educate themselves. But almost the first step would be just ask women, speak to women and remember that, to listen. You know, we don't need to be doing this. Don't man interrupt. Just just listen and learn that's one of the favorite terms that i've learned from you man interruptions <laughs> it's it's actually quite a good example as well terry some of the work i did i was doing some work with a client um fairly recently and i shared man interruptions and i shared some of the stats behind it so for example on the u.s supreme court the, the the female justices are four times more likely to be interrupted than the male justices and 96% of the time when they're interrupted, it's by men. So that's just research based on all the transcripts of their, their court hearings. And so I remember sharing this with this, you know, quite a large group of men and, and women as well. And the women are kind of like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. And men are going, I'm not sure about that. And then subsequent to this, we did follow ups with everyone to do just some group coaching to find out what they'd learned and what barriers are facing. And the sheer volume of men that came on to those calls and said, man interruptions. I wasn't sure that was a thing. So I went and tested it. And, and some of them tested it in social settings and others tested it in the workplace. And they all said the same thing. It's like, oh my God, we interrupt women all the time. You know, I, I, we just didn't realize. One guy said to me, I feel sick to my stomach because I do it and I now stop myself. And I said, that's fantastic. That's what we want. You know, you, you didn't yeah. do this. You've been conditioned this way. So man interruptions is, is a, I often use that example because it's just a really simple way of thinking, I didn't know that was a thing. Now I do. I'll stop doing it. And, I, and you cannot stop noticing it. Once you know it's there, you cannot stop noticing it. Yeah, which is interesting, isn't it? I think it's it's those little steps that, that make the difference. And as you say, I think sometimes I'd probably be quick to, to say, I don't do that. And it's like... Mm maybe just go and go and have a little bit, bit of a check an yeah. internal self-assessment and and and, and just see <laughs> but not everyone obviously it's not fair but um I know you don't have crystal ball but what do you think the future what do you think the future looks like and and this is something that 
I think we can take away for ourselves to think about how we're, and I do think we're getting better at educating. I've got nieces and nephews who are saying, you can't say that and you can't do that. And and my little nephew is just so thoughtful and is somebody that will always put anybody first, regardless of their gender. So I think we are getting there and there is this generational shift, but what do you think the future looks like? And what, what are those small steps that I think people could take from, from any point in the, in their life. It doesn't have to be anybody at the top, right? It just, I think it's just helping to, to spread the word. Yeah. It, I'm, I say that I'm an optimist and in the 12 months that I've been doing this, 18 months that I've been redoing this work. I, um, I do, th- I, I've learned a lot and I do think there are lots of positive things we can do that perhaps we're not doing enough of fundamentally um the way we'll we'll create gender equity more quickly is by bringing men and women together and so that what what the future holds is i think hopefully more people doing exactly that we have to stop making it divisive social media is a is a disaster most of the time because it is it's its purpose is to divide people and and we need to actually rail against that and, and fight against it. I had a really interesting conversation with my son uh, a few months ago before I started in the patriarchy post and you know he's 16 and I was kind of saying that because uh, I made him read everyday sexism so he's been indoctrinated uh, yeah. yeah um and um, yeah <laughs> well you know I think I just wanted him to understand it and I do think it's helped him um but he I was saying to him I, I was I've been watching a Laura Bates TED talk and I said I think sex isn't getting worse. I was really, so much I read, so much I hear. And he had an interesting thought on it. He said, I don't think it's getting worse. I just think it's getting louder. And I said, explain. And he said, he basically said that he's seen quite a few of his friends who were kind of brought up and were quite sort of sexist in their nature, but now they're making a shift. They're now being more thoughtful about things and embracing different stuff. And he said that the trouble with people like Andrew Tate is that he creates so much volume and he indoctrinates people, but actually some quite a few of his friends, him included, have now moved away from that. I thought, no, no, I'm not interested in that stuff. Yeah. And I thought that was really quite an insightful comment, particularly for a 16 year old. But what it made me think was that maybe because I see stuff all the time now, it feels to me like I'm just seeing it everywhere and it's really mm-hmm. loud. But whether it is or not, I think what it means is if, if you've got bad actors coming in and seizing the narrative, people like Andrew Tate and some of the awful world leaders we have, then what we need to do is seize the narrative back. And we need to create similar noise about things which are much more about equity and about working together and about, you know, being empathetic towards people, men and women. You know, yeah. the whole male pale and stale thing is not helpful. No. You show a man that's going to respond positively to being told, you know, he's male pounds. It's not going to happen. No. But if you, here's some stuff that I think might enable you to understand how the world works a little better. Let's, you know, let's share a few things. Go out and test it for yourself. I mean, I always, I always call it, you know, every day I try to sleep less stupid. So if I can learn something about myself or about <laughs> the world, yeah, I'll, I'll sleep less stupid tonight. Um, but I think if you can do it in such a way that doesn't criticise and doesn't, you know, diminish everything the way that person lived their life to date, it's just about kind of educating people continuously so i the future for me i feel positive at the moment because a lot of the things i've been seeing and doing are starting to have an impact but it's about bringing people together men and women standing up for um yeah for gender equity and what's fair and i also agree with you i've got a lot of hope with the future generations coming through 
who are just much more open-minded, yeah. much less socially conditioned in some ways. Yeah. Um, and I think what we need to do is to listen to them and to help them, rather not let them get squashed by <laughs> the patriarchy. Yeah, and we talked about this a bit before, right? We're in a world now where it's not actually also just female and male genders that we need to talk yeah. about. And I think that is also opening the dialogue for future generations I think they are much more just much more aware there's a much more broader conversation that's had with younger people than than where those conversations sit with us I think which yeah again not to generalize but I do think hopefully that does mean an outlook is is shifted slightly to what we have been used to Mm. thank you so much for sharing well go on I was going to ask you, what do you think, Terry? Do you how optimistic do you feel about the future? I do. I do feel optimistic. I feel like there is genuinely a shift between where I think the the typical culture has been of thinking about the progression through organisations of actually having female leadership or having broader perspective on on diversity within their their teams which is great and that's something that I'm really passionate about and I think we have come a long way but equally I think there's still a very very long way to go yeah but I do think we are even as parents and I think for anybody that's a parent or an aunt or is is influential on on children around them I think we're trying to also shift that dialogue probably Mm. without even understanding as much I think there are lots of people that are trying to shift the narrative without Mm. realizing how much impact that actually has Mm. allowing boys to cry for example like that's changed I think it's it's not that kind of macho dominated perspective that that we used to have I think so yeah yeah, I I feel positive I I do feel I mean I'm exposed in in my job to people that are going through senior searches every day I do see the difference of women versus men yeah. But I think it's slowly getting there. Do I think we're anywhere near close of even just if you still look at boards? Uh, it's it's crazy. I think yeah. I told you about that stat. There's more people called Andrew and Simon than there are female or diverse leaders on, on some of those boards. So that that, yeah. that is mind blowing. And yeah. and that's where you kind of think that's really disappointing. But I think we can't look at the the macro. I think we need to just go micro of, of what people are doing in their individual teams or in their individual businesses to actually try and make a change. Yeah, good. It's nice to have an optimistic outlook on this because it makes me just think we just need to redouble our efforts now, don't we? Be be louder, you know, expand yeah. that narrative and you know challenge what's there. And I think this is what's critically important: is this is not a fight for women or a fight for men. It's a fight for all of us. You know, we're working together with with compassion to to make things better for for ourselves as well as future generations yeah. yeah and you know what i think sometimes we don't even do that enough for women as women or men as men and mm. regardless of whether we're trying to create yeah. this blended equity i think we should always just also look out for just everyone in general and so mm. it's that that's something that i've always felt very strongly about and i think if we can share a bit more of that everybody will be okay well it makes sense to to yeah. actually all look out for each other rather than be against one another so yeah fingers crossed we are we're making headway I know you certainly are helping to to change that narrative with Wiley and what you're doing there so from all of us we're very very grateful so thank you very much thank you very much for having me here no it's been it's been a really interesting conversation I think there's a lot that people will take from this and will enjoy.
um, so. and might have their own perceptions on. So I'd love to hear from people if they have got that in terms of what they think. But I have one final question for you. Okay. Because we are on the Tea with Tea podcast. How do you take your tea? Okay. <laughs> I, I take my tea very traditional. I have builders. Okay. So a uh, yeah, quite strong um, dash of milk and one sugar. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> How do you take your tea, Terry? How do, how um, I'm similar to you, just no sugar. Sweet no. Yeah, no. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm definitely not. <laughs> Jeremy, thank you so much for sharing such great insights. And great to Actually, have you Thanks for inviting me. No, of course. Thank you. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.